Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode, we're going to discuss Kara's secret identity, her disguise, the glasses. However, not just the glasses. There are a lot of elements that factor into separating Kara Danvers from Supergirl, and we're going to discuss them. Vivi, you have some insight into the many ways that the disguise could work? I do, actually. So many years ago for a class, I had to read a book by a former CIA officer named Tony Mendez, who, if you know the movie Argo, he was the CIA officer who was responsible with smuggling six stranded American operatives out of Iran during the revolution. Mm -hmm. And he did this in part by employing disguise technology. One of the cool things about this is a lot of the disguise tech that has been used since the 70s and for the most part is still in use today with a lot of modifications along the way, was created out of collaboration with makeup artists from Hollywood. And then one of the other experts who I looked at for preparing for our conversation today happens to be his wife, whose name is Jana Mendez. And she is a retired chief of disguise in the Office of Technical Service. And she did several interviews and conversations about what their department does and how they create disguises and how it's not actually just about, you know, throwing on a pair of glasses or a wig only. There's a lot more components to it. Mm -hmm. So her her first big point was that the goal when you're creating a disguise for someone is always to protect the people involved in the interaction. So, for example, if we're talking with Supergirl, creating this secret identity is protecting Kara mm -hmm. because it means that she can go out and about and do her Supergirl stuff without anybody figuring out who she is or like her running into a casual acquaintance being like, oh, hey, Kara, while she's out rescuing people. And this goes back all the way to the beginning of who Kara Danvers is. Yes. And Kara Danvers also is something of a persona, mm -hmm. but in a different kind of way. But it is still a protective persona because it's keeping her status as an alien and essentially an illegal refugee mm -hmm. a secret so that she's not physically harmed or taken away from her family. Yeah. Which that's why we see Kara wearing the glasses long before she becomes Supergirl. Yes. She did that. And actually, the other important part there, the reason that she started doing that, it wasn't just about protecting her. It was about protecting her family as well. And that's one of the other reasons in real life that you'd employ similar kinds of disguise choices. You're also protecting your sources or the people that you're with so that they don't get recognized as being with somebody that they shouldn't be. So one of the most critical parts of developing a disguise for someone is you want to hide or de-emphasize their kind of of key standout physical features, so like the things you'd immediately notice about them. <laughs> so Cycles, since you spend a lot of time making graphic edits and videos, <laughs> you get to stare at Supergirl and Kara a lot. So like, what would you say are those standout features? Well, Supergirl specifically, obviously her hair that she has styled every time automatically when she goes out to fight crime is sort of an iconic image. Something interesting, there was a video posted in the Sunshine Protection Force network in which one of the writers of a Superman comic, a Superman birthright, discussed how Superman had these really striking blue eyes. And in the comic, 
that was something that his parents, when they were trying to help him come up with a disguise, were like, oh, your your blue eyes, you have to do something about that because everyone has always talked about how striking they are. And so he puts the glasses on and then they become less noticeable. And I've sort of been thinking about that when watching Supergirl and particularly in, in her most recent reveal with Nia mm. when she took her glasses off, shot into the air, landed and then talked about how she was Supergirl. It did feel like, oh, they're Supergirl because she didn't have her glasses on because she had her eyes were fairly striking in that lighting. But as you mentioned, I do make gifts and stuff quite frequently for Supergirl's Attic and for various meta purposes, etc. So when you're in fandom and you're staring at the main character's faces all the time, you start to notice certain things like, for instance, Kara has a, a scar in between her eyebrows. Yes. And so other fans will point that out and be like, oh, why doesn't X character notice that both Kara and Supergirl have that same scar? And Kara's scar is kind of a contrasting example to something like striking blue eyes or like long blonde hair, which are things that might immediately imprint upon you when seeing someone. A small scar is not quite a key physical feature that you would spot. So we notice it looking at people's faces all day, like making uh, graphics for the show. But I mean, it's not something like the average person. If someone asked you to give like a physical description, they wouldn't be like, and she had that scar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So another example of like kind of a key physical feature being hidden is Clark Kent being Superman in the comics as this like giant muscular being. <laughs> he wears really baggy clothes to maybe make him seem like he's heavier as opposed to really muscular, which is kind of interesting in comparison to Kara, who rather than hiding muscles as Kara Danvers kind of emphasizes them as Supergirl. That was kind of funny because it was something that the disguise expert from the CIA actually mentioned that in training new officers, she would frequently have a much more difficult time convincing men that disguise technology was necessary. And she had this really interesting quote in an interview with the Washington Post. And she said, it's universally recognized that women wear disguises more easily than men do. Women have been disguising themselves from their early teens for generations and men not so much. Hmm. And that when you consider in particular that Kara came to Earth as like a 13 year old girl. And that's a period in your life that you really start experimenting with kind of how you look and how that affects your identity. And I mean, boys do this too, with the trying on like new personas and doing different things. Mm -hmm. It's actually really interesting that she had this persona that she had to adopt. And like, it wasn't really one that she wanted, but she had to use it and just was naturally, you know, much more comfortable with it, I think, than Clark has been in the few times we've seen them talk about it. Although it is interesting in Falling when she's affected with red kryptonite and oh, yeah. she, in the scene with Alex and she starts talking about how Alex pushed certain kinds of clothing on her, apparently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Alex's face is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> but on some level, Kara has seen the clothes that she wears as uh, like de-emphasizing, she probably wouldn't say it this way in her like normal state, but her beauty and making herself less noticeable so that she wouldn't be sort of clocked as different and odd in comparison to her peers. I actually am glad you remembered that because two things. Number one, the way that Kara typically dresses as Kara Danvers, it is meant essentially to make her not Mm eye-catching. But the other interesting thing, when we go back to this idea of choosing what to hide or to de-emphasize, and one of the other pieces of that includes good disguises add Mm -hmm. extra stuff that's not part of necessarily who you are. 
are so that when you take it away, people don't associate you with all of those things. When you look at Red K, Kara, she chose as Kara to be much more eye-catching and a, a very different in personality than she normally is. Mm. But then when you look at the way she dressed as not Supergirl, but kind of Supergirl, that was de-emphasizing. There was no bright color. Mm. There was no like shape accentuating outfit. She was basically just wearing a very simple, plain suit. So it's sort of like a um, reverse. So not overemphasizing Supergirl as much as she usually does and not de-emphasizing Cara Danvers. She was kind of like playing up Cara Danvers because she was sick of not being recognized in that persona. Hmm. And then she was essentially de-emphasizing herself in some ways as being like the super. Yeah. And that persona of like a goody two-shoes type. Yeah. Brightly colored. Yeah. And shedding kind of the, the reputation and the association that that had. So that was intriguing in its own way. Yeah. Never thought about that in terms of the identity. <laughs> yeah. Well, and related to that, Red K. Kara is a really good example of how attitude plays a role in transforming a person. And that's really the key to why people don't really notice that Kara Danvers and Supergirl are the same person. They don't behave in remotely the same ways. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest differences, and this is pretty obvious when you watch her in the show, is that Supergirl is a much more authoritative personality than Kara Danvers. Mm -hmm. As Supergirl, you see her very comfortable with giving directions or telling other people what to do. Her tone of voice is a lot more firm and leaves less room for people to ask questions. Yeah, sometimes she even lowers her voice a little bit. Yeah, the pitch of her voice can be a bit different sometimes. You see her taking much more comfort in making decisions independently than you might see when she's Cara Danvers. Like, she still has some of that go with her gut instinct to kind of rush into something. Mm -hmm. Like, when she was like, I'm going to write articles about all the aliens who are great in National City. But there's a different energy to it. Like, yeah. it's a little bit more, like, excited as opposed to, like, do this now or we're all going to die. <laughs> Um, yes. And one of the other really important things about the way she acts as Supergirl is that she also has like a greater expectation that other people are going to do what she says. Mm -hmm. Um, not in the sense of like under the red K where she's like, you will all worship me. Yes. Or, you know, the way the, the cult was trying to turn her into this very like godlike figure, but just as a person who is an authoritative figure in an emergency, much like if you saw like a first responder from like a fire department, a police department, you know, if you're scared or you need to know what to do, you listen to them. Yeah. Whereas like we saw in an earlier episode in this season, season four, Car will as Cara Danvers perhaps play up her not really knowing what to do in Alcorp with Lena. Oh, yeah. In 402. Yes, in 402, when the people were coming to attack her and she's like trying to get away and has this kind of airy, like, I don't know how to process what's happening attitude about her. Yeah. She's like, oh, gosh, we should hide. <laughs> I'll stand right here behind this wall. <laughs> And, but she also, she, even in that, and I mean, obviously this is an acting choice on the part of the actor, but it's also Kara making an acting choice, you know, mm. lightening the pitch of her voice, making it seem like she's scared. And even her body language, like she kind of turns her shoulders in a little bit more and makes herself a little smaller. Yeah. And she doesn't, her posture's not the same. And that's another really big part of why this works, especially with people who aren't spending hours upon hours a day with her in both personas. Yeah. 
And in terms of her posture, Melissa, the actress, has like a corset underneath her suit as Supergirl. And she's talked about how it has made her posture straighter when she is playing that role. And Nicole, it turns out, Nicole means as Dreamer in her suit will also have a sort of corset. So that aids the change in attitude. Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing about the costume design is part of it is so that the torso of the costume is stable for when you have to hook them up for like flying and yeah. different kinds of stunts. And then um, for Melissa, the cape is heavy. So the corset helps to kind of balance the weight out. Yeah. I don't think people consider the fact that that cape is like five feet long and at least three, four feet wide and heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of kind of physical mannerisms and stuff too, when you think about a difference between Kara and Supergirl, one of the really distinctive things that you see with like people who have glasses is the mannerisms they have that go with adjusting them yeah. and, you know, like pushing them up or playing with them or whatever. And so when you have that or take that away, it actually does change quite a bit about the way you're calling attention to a character or the way that people are looking at their face. Mm -hmm. In terms of Kara, it makes sense as sort of a nervous habit to give that persona of being kind of more bumbling and such. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that it helps with calling your attention to, speaking of like earlier when you mentioned the thing about the glasses kind of hiding Kara's eyes, yeah. Melissa does this really interesting thing. She almost like squints a little bit more sometimes as Kara, like the shape of her eyes sometimes looks different, which is fascinating because that's definitely a conscious choice and that's not like a makeup thing. That's definitely just the way she's expressing her body language. Mm. And it does definitely separate the characters, especially in early season three when she's so much more emotionally closed off as Supergirl. Mm. And Melissa's also talked about in like interviews of how she will put her hands on her hips as Cara Danvers and then be like, wait, no, these don't go there as <laughs> in this role. Um, it'll feel like weird because that's not the way the character is as Cara Danvers. So yeah, and that's actually also kind of funny because we've talked about this before and the show plays it up sometimes that that's how Alex will stand a lot and Kara definitely mimics it. And it was also interesting because when she was first becoming Supergirl in season one, like she didn't look natural putting her hands on her hips, like to be that kind of commanding yes. presence. She'd almost not know where on her hips her hands needed to go. <laughs> well, part of that, I think, is like the belts that she has is like finicky and, and won't stay in the right place. So no, but also too, like it's a difference between are you putting she puts her hands like at her hip bones. Kyler tends to put them like at the top of the hip, like towards your lower back where they don't slide as much. <laughs> well, I think it's funny because in promotional material for the show, they often have Supergirl posing with her fists on her hips. Yeah. That's sort of like a nod to how Superman would pose. True. And I think the hands on hips, like open hands, is actually <laughs> looks a lot more natural. Well, yeah, they don't, your hands don't slide as much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So we mentioned kind of like choices with mannerisms in Kara versus Supergirl. And also you have the thing with the posture, like the suit gives her a whole different way of standing. It's kind of similar like style wise to things that Kara likes to wear. But in terms of like the colors and the shape, it's much more attention grabbing intentionally mm -hmm. than a lot of the things that she'll wear as Kara. And one of the other really interesting things that was in one of the Mendez interviews that I read was that when they're working on creating like a disguise persona in a a professional setting, you'll even give the person like a physical object that will forcibly change their posture or the way they walk or even their speech. Like there was a really cool example of it's almost like a retainer, but it's the same color as your skin. So people can't see it mm. to give people maybe like a lisp or a slightly different pronunciation so that their whole way that they talk sounds different as well. Yeah. So taking all this stuff into account, just with regard to the Cara Danvers Supergirl distinction and does it work? Does it not work? The 
really most important takeaway from the professional opinion on whether or not a simple disguise like a pair of glasses and a hat or like a different shirt works is that Yes, it does work because people have set expectations of how you present yourself to them when you are you. Mm -hmm. And so if that's what they're looking for, they won't notice things that are the opposite of that. Yeah. And they won't connect the two unless they have like a really good reason to connect the two. Mm -hmm. Which we will discuss. Yeah. Relating to Supergirl in a minute. Yeah. So you have some examples of times that this has in fact happened related to the Supergirl. Superman franchise and Supergirl. So when one is out and about in their lives, they don't usually expect to see celebrities or really well-known figures. So celebrities will sometimes go on like talk shows and be like, oh, I met a fan who saw me and was like, oh my God, you look just like, just like Melissa Benoist. And it'll be Melissa Benoist. But relating to the super mythos, Henry Cavill, who plays Superman in the DC movie universe, went to Times Square and stood under a poster of himself as Superman. He was wearing a literal like Superman shirt and he just like stood there and waited to see if anybody would recognize him and be like, oh my God, you're Superman. Your face is right up there. But, uh. And they did it. <laughs> yes. People even came up to him and were like, hey, you can you tell me where the train is? Like, <laughs> it's not like no one interacted with him. People did, but they still didn't recognize him. Yes. And he wasn't wearing glasses even. So he was as close to the resemblance in the poster as he could get without the costume. Yeah. And I think that people not expecting to see a celebrity played a part in them not being like, oh my God, they're Superman. Well, and also too, you're in the middle of the city going back to this conversation about expectations. Times Square is an incredibly crowded touristy place. Local people aren't stopping to be like, oh, hey, that's a celebrity. They're like, get out of my way while you're taking your selfie. Yeah. And tourists are like, I'm lost. Please help me. Or like, I am also taking a selfie with the giant poster of Superman. Like nobody's, yeah. nobody's expecting the actor from the poster to be there. They see you, but they're not seeing you. And that's, that's really the way most people are most of the time. Yes. So this plays a big part in explaining how Kara as Supergirl gets away with it in her like everyday life, walking from one place to another and people don't stop her and go, oh my God, you look just like Supergirl. But in terms of people that Kara interacts with more closely, there are a couple instances in Supergirl in which they try to explain how the disguise works. And right in season one, James says that Kat will look at Supergirl right in the face and she will not even see her assistant. And, and when he talks about Superman, he says he's able to hide because the world can't believe that there's really a hero in their midst. So they don't expect to see an alien who can fly and who goes about their day saving people, handing Cat Grant a cup of coffee. Yeah, exactly. Why would you assume that? <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I think the audience also forgets that we were let in on the secret yeah. on purpose. Like the only reason 90% of the audience knows that Kara and Supergirl are the same person is because they were told that they were the same person from the start. Yeah. So someone like one of my sisters who doesn't watch the show will look at the TV and see Kara and I'll refer to her as like Supergirl. And she said, that's Supergirl. And she had seen her as Supergirl before. And, you know, on Twitter or Tumblr, I'll occasionally see someone go, oh my God, my sibling or my family member didn't realize a car and Supergirl were the same person. So it can happen. It can. And related to how you were saying your one sister was like, wait a minute, those two people are the same person. 
I've actually tried this in real life in different contexts, and it works. <laughs> <laughs> when my family was coming to meet me once when I was living abroad, I intentionally made myself look as much like I was a member of the host culture as possible before I went to meet them to see what would happen. And they did not notice me until I walked right up to them. So mm. it definitely works. <laughs> yeah. And in the show, we had a recent, other than Nia, revealing that Kara is Supergirl with Brainy, and he found the idea laughable. He was cracking up. She has glasses, you know, and it's just even being confronted with the possibility that this person is this person. It was so against expectations that he outright rejected it. And it kind of reminded me of a scene in Superman Returns with Brandon Ralph as Superman. Lois and her significant other are talking about sort of all the trivia that Lois knows about Superman, like his height and his weight, hair color, eye color, etc. And her like significant other looks over at Clark and goes like, how tall is Clark? And, and they sort of look at him for a minute and then they just burst out laughing at the idea that Clark Kent could be Superman. So even if they may recognize that they are physically similar, yeah. they're still so resistant to the idea that it's laughable. Yeah, because the personality and just like the energy that they exude is so different. Mm -hmm. Which is one thing that a couple like Superman comics have explored where people may still be like, you look like this person, but they're not like you are this person because that's so... Yeah, that's like a weird leap of logic to make. Yeah. So obviously within Supergirl and then also some of the Superman comics and the show, they've explored this idea that human beings, generally speaking, won't believe something if it defies their expectations of what they think reality should be, even if there's evidence staring them in the face. Mm. However, we have had three specific examples so far throughout the series of characters who are put in a position where they could figure it out. And we've had two who did and then one who hasn't. Mm -hmm. And we will explore the differences between these examples. Yes. Our first person who figured it out on her own was Kat Grant. And this is after a few episodes of Kat sort of learning more about Kara. So in season one, episode eight, Hostile Takeover, one of the members of the board of directors at CatCo is trying to push Cat Grant out of her role in CatCo, make her step down. And Kara gets a bit of information with her super hearing that basically saves Cat. And you can tell in the scene where Kara, you know, saves the day, so to speak, Cat is surprised. And then later on, she's like, oh, I know that you're Supergirl. She likely sits and reexamines her perception of Kara. And then that process leads her to discovering that Kara Kara is Supergirl. Eventually, Kara, with the help of Jean, <laughs> fools Kat again. Jean shapeshifts into Supergirl and then Kara stands next to him as Supergirl. And Kat's like, well, you guys don't even look alike. <laughs> but then at the end of season two, it is revealed to the audience that Kat does in fact know that Kara is Supergirl, despite that shapeshifting event. Yeah. The other thing that's kind of important to keep in mind with regard to Kat and how she put the pieces together and what have you is she didn't start to think about it until Kara as Kara started behaving in ways that called her attention to it. Mm -hmm. But also too, Kat is an extremely talented journalist with a very long career and who's also familiar with Superman and what have you. So knowing that she's observant in that way, mm. it then also makes sense that when she has that information and is like, these things seem weirdly similar, that she then did like all that fact-finding kind of digging yeah. and was like, okay, well, this thing about you is inconsistent and every time that all of these things happened, you were gone and Supergirl appeared mm. the next minute. So there's that tendency to, in a way, almost expect 
to the unexpected. Yeah, she's the sort of person who would be inclined to look for, like, the truth behind the facade. Yeah, and specifically with people. Yeah. Going back to her days as a gossip journalist. <laughs> True. Yeah. And then that's kind of interesting because the other character who we've seen figure it out was equally professionally attuned to looking for facts and truth behind, like, whatever seems like it's happening mm. with people. Yeah. Um, and that was Maggie in season two. Mm -hmm. So in episode nine of season two, Kara, a Supergirl, is put in danger and Alex freaks out because she's not allowed to be happy. Um, Alex freaks out because she thinks the universe is conspiring against yes. her, basically. <laughs> yeah. So she, <laughs> she feels like because she indulged in happiness in her relationship with Maggie, something bad happened to Kara. She feels like she dropped the ball. And so when Alex says that something happened to Supergirl... And then promptly dumps Maggie in the middle of the day, like, with no warning. Yeah. <laughs> And so when Alex goes to make up with Maggie, Maggie's like, it's because Supergirl's your sister. And the way she describes how she figured it out is through her knowledge of Alex and that connection. And she had a reason to sit down and try to analyze the situation because it was kind of random. Yeah. So and to tie that back to kind of what I was explaining earlier with the way you want to transform in a disguise, you want to hide the behaviors that make you you. And in this case... Alex wasn't doing that mm. and was treating Supergirl the same way that she emotionally treats Kara, which was the whole reason that we're having this plot line in season four. Yeah. So it's sort of ironic that in season one, Alex was kind of getting on Kara's case because Kat Grant interviewed her as Supergirl and she gave away the information that she was Superman's cousin and she had joked that she's an alien to the waitress who was giving Kara her sticky bun, which would not be something Kara could get away with today. No. Because <laughs> people know that aliens are a thing. So it's ironic that Alex was in that role of like, okay, you need to be more careful. And in the situation with Maggie and now in season four, she is sort of the weak link in terms of keeping Kara's secret. Yeah, in terms of being the one who through her own behavior is the most likely to give away the fact that those two relationships are connected. Yeah. It's funny, though, because within that scene where Maggie reveals that she has figured it out, she says, you know, the only person that you get that torn up over is Kara. And then she says, plus the glasses don't help. And Alex says, I always said that, too. It's kind of ridiculous. But is it, though? <laughs> <laughs> the purpose of this podcast is to say no. <laughs> I think it's character true for Alex to be like, oh, yeah, there needs to be more. Like, she wants more protections around Kara. But it's also a line that I sort of cringe at when I listen back to it, because people often refer to it as like an argument and it was kind of the show poking fun at itself and the fact that the glasses are sort of an unexpected way to hide your identity okay but you know what it's gonna be a great line to come back to in a couple of weeks though <laughs> what in terms of um well because alex only thought the glasses didn't help because yeah. alex has always known Kara exactly and supergirl were the same person alex is the audience much like us as the audience <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah she was in on the information the whole time and now we're seeing that when she isn't it's a longer disguise than she had expected. It's a better disguise than we all thought. Yep. Yeah. Which is why our third character, who we've seen spend a lot of time around both Kara and Supergirl, who's been in a position to maybe find out, hasn't. Yes. Lena Luther has not cracked the uh, case. <laughs> she doesn't know there's a case, is the whole thing. Exactly. But she has really good reasons for not assuming that Kara and Supergirl are the same person. Yeah. People often say, like, oh, Lena is really super intelligent. Why did, like, Maggie and Kat figure it out, who are also intelligent? But why did this really intelligent person who spends all this time with Kara and Supergirl not figure it out? 
about when we as an audience are like, oh, Kara slipped up in this moment. But you pointed out a really good reason that Lena may not expect Kara to be Supergirl in a way that involves her intellect. Yes, actually. So Lena, we know, is a very intelligent, very talented engineer, right? Mm. And at the beginning of season two, she was introduced as having created this alien detection device. And we know it works because we've seen it work when she's used it with Rayo. We saw it again in season four with President Baker after the whole debacle with President Wonder Woman being an alien. Yeah. And Lena physically handed that device to Kara, saw Kara use it. And saw the results say human. Lena, being as intelligent and as talented at creating stuff as she is, has no reason to doubt that her own invention doesn't work. Yeah. So given that that was like the first time she'd ever met Kara, she had no reason to assume that Kara and Supergirl were the same person and that Kara laser vision like resoldered <laughs> the wiring in her device yeah. in two seconds. So she saw that. She knows that. That's a fact to her scientific brain. There is no reason at all that she would ever think like, oh, yeah, my best friend Kara Danvers is secretly an alien. Like, yeah. no. And it's interesting because this is sort of a subversion of like, they wouldn't expect the person next to them to be an alien um, because Lino is a suspicious person for various reasons we've seen throughout the show. And so she was perhaps expecting this to be a possibility, but she ruled it out essentially. And no longer does she expect this of her harmless, frazzled friend. Her harmless, frazzled coward. Cowardly friend. <laughs> yes. That's always my favorite. Like, like I cringe at the same time as I'm laughing when people lean on, like, the fact that, oh, Kara's a coward. That's why she's not here. Or... <laughs> oh, I loved that scene with Wynn, though. <laughs> when Kat's like, where is Kara? She is a coward. <laughs> Where's James? He is also a coward. <laughs> All my friends are cowards. <laughs> <laughs> They've all abandoned me and left me here to die. Like, <laughs> yeah. And in season one with Kat, we also saw the situation where Kara... Oh, yeah. She came up with the excuse to run down the stairs so she could get yes, away. all the flights of stairs. And <laughs> but in terms of, of Lena and expectations, so when Kara says stuff like, I flew here on a bus, the first thing that Lena is going to think is not, you literally flew here and you slipped up. <laughs> She's going to think, oh, that's a weird phrasing. She's going to think my dorky friend Kara tried to make like a Supergirl pun <laughs> and it failed. Like that's what she's going to think. Well, alternatively, like I got here really quickly on a bus. Yeah. Or, or she's just awkward. <laughs> I mean, I've said weird sentences in my life. I don't know. <laughs> during the recording of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And it's funny because you'll see in like fan works where the reveal happens or Lena reveals that she has known the whole time um she'll cite this one line of like i flew here on a bus like she's going to remember that yeah from like their first meeting in season two like <laughs> yeah. it probably didn't even register it was just like ah, you're like awkward and charming <laughs> kind of like regina george looking at katie in mean girls and being like oh you say the weirdest things <laughs> She wasn't an alien. She was just homeschooled and grew up in Africa. <laughs> yeah. And Lena knows Kara's adopted from somewhere and slightly awkward. So whatever. <laughs> there's there's just no way that she would remember that line. So now that we've discussed the ways that the disguise works... Do they need a stronger disguise? Or even in this modern era, are the glasses, along with behavioral changes, contrasting clothing and contrasting hairstyles, different mannerisms, still enough? Like, is it good enough? Mm -hmm. In case you couldn't tell yet, our tentative answer is yes. It is still good enough. <laughs> yes. 
So if you've ever taken psych coursework and you've done the sections on the sensory systems and particularly perception, you usually end up talking about eyewitnesses in this one particular case where a professor demonstrated to his class that eyewitnesses are frequently kind of bad at remembering what they see. So there's a quote in an article from the Scientific American, and it's basically, devastating mistakes by eyewitnesses are not rare. And there's a number of reasons for this. One of them is that the more stress that an eyewitness is under, particularly if it's in a life or death situation, as is frequently happening when Supergirl's like <laughs> rescuing people from burning buildings or attacking aliens, the more people are under stress, the worse they do at remembering specific details about somebody that they saw. Mm -hmm. They're not going to remember accurately the face. They might remember like the build. They probably won't remember, well, with Kara, they'll remember what she was wearing because Supergirl's <laughs> costume is yeah. pretty iconic. But it's particularly a problem, like, for example, when people are held at gunpoint, they're typically looking at the gun. Yeah. Because they're afraid that they're going to die hmm. and they're not actually looking at the person attacking them. So that's definitely in play. <laughs> so like 90% of the situations that anyone in National City would be interacting with Supergirl is like a life or death or really stressful situation. So they're not going to be like, oh, I was really up close with Supergirl today and I noticed she has a scar between her eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're totally not going to be paying attention to that. And one of the other reasons that you have really high rates of mistaken identification is when you put innocent people in a lineup, for example, if you put innocent people who look like the person you're trying to identify all in one group and then say, okay, which one is it? Mm -hmm. There's a much higher rate of inaccuracy. Yeah. So saying that Kara and Supergirl look alike actually means that people are more likely to make a false positive if you put like Kara plus 10 other people who look sort of vaguely like her. When Supergirl's arrested. Uh... <laughs> so in the season finale, when Supergirl goes to jail. <laughs> <laughs> so generally speaking, other people are really bad at identifying an individual person that they see offhand, particularly in an emergency. But more than that, research in like the past, decade or so about how vision works has shown that your brain actually will automatically fill in what it expects to see based on your past experience. Key word of the day, expects. <laughs> yep, particularly your peripheral vision and also when part of your vision is obscured. So this happens to all of us all of the time. Your nose is actually partially obscuring your vision, but you rarely notice that because your brain automatically merges the pictures you get from each eye and makes a coherent kind of panoramic view for you. Mm. So again, in terms of noticing like weirdness in maybe the way Kara behaves or Supergirl behaves, most people don't know both of them and nobody sees both of them at the same time. So you're less likely to say like, huh, they look the same because your brain is expecting kind of like one set of mannerisms and one kind of aesthetic, like with Supergirl in her very distinctive suit with like the skirt and the cape and the bright colors. Mm -hmm. Whereas... Akara Ascara looks nothing like that. Yeah. Supergirl has really uh, strong, vibrant colors and cars and pastels. And sometimes earth tones. <laughs> and sometimes earth tones. 
So sometimes fans will try to solve the disguise problem because they see it as a problem. So they'll be like, oh, why don't Carr and Clark wear glasses, like maybe Kryptonian or um, DEO technology, that distorts the way their faces look as Carr and Clark. Or the other way around, why don't they have glasses that sort of mess with the other person's mind and make them see in their brain something different. Our brains already do that. <laughs> and from a storytelling point of view, this is a iconic element of this mythos. And sort of over-explaining it takes the magic out of it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like, there is supposed to be a little bit of almost magic to it because they are this, like, superhuman action figure, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And I feel the same way about where does Kara's rest of her costume go when she's in Kara Danvers' attire? Like, where's her cape? <laughs> How's that fitting in the shirt? And where do her boots go? I don't need that to be explained. Well, in fairness, though... The show has deviated a little bit from the iconic Superman thing where you always saw him ducking into a space to change. You always had that association with like Superman hiding in the phone booth. Phone booths don't exist anymore. Well, sometimes he would just, he would just pop his shirt open and fly and then he would be in a different outfit. Yeah. So in some senses, especially because this is such a sci-fi type of thing, there are times when it's like, okay, just suspend the disbelief for like, <laughs> two seconds. Also, they have super speed. Maybe they have lockers all over the city. You don't know. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's fine. And, it, you know, that's a fun part of fandom engagement, sort of filling in the gaps. But I also think you run the risk of when you're writing a story and trying to explain how something works, just inviting more room to poke holes in it. And then there's the question of why not just have Kara not have a secret identity and just be Supergirl or Kara Zor-El all the time? Well, in case you haven't paid attention to season four, <laughs> that clearly hasn't panned out well. <laughs> yes. But people see examples of like Iron Man in his first movie at the end of it. He was like, I'm Iron Man. <laughs> We're all familiar with these stories. Usually the key players in the lives of the superhero with the secret identity, they eventually find out there's usually a reveal at some point. And so people kind of want to cut to the chase, but it, it sort of cuts out the storytelling that one would want to do with that tool. So in most cases, the dual identity plot point exists to say something about the characters and explore aspects of relationships and lessons that they want them to learn and such. With Superman, it sort of explores the Lois and Clark relationship and that sort of dynamic of here's this side of me that's like really impressive and I do all these awesome things with my powers. And then there's the side of me who is like an awkward nerd and using the two identities allows them within the story to explore how Lois feels about those two sides of Clark. And then there's the other concept of Clark himself having grown up feeling very different from the people around him and feeling alien. And loneliness is often something Superman writers will explore because Clark didn't get to experience his birth culture and, and meet his birth parents. And now he's in this world where he doesn't feel like a human. And they get to explore the lesson of what makes Clark different from everyone, also making him strong and eventually gives him a place in the world and a role to play and everything. And then, as I just referred to, the fact that he is an alien from another world and that sort of immigrant narrative, which takes us to our super, mm -hmm. Kara Zor-El, who, unlike Clark, she remembers Krypton and sort of more thoroughly feels that disconnect from human culture initially. And her two identities, and in some ways three identities, Kara Zor-El, Kara Danvers, and Supergirl, and these roles that she plays in various situations, separating them in that way allows a kind of exploration of what makes up those parts of this character. 
And as we've seen in Supergirl, it also, especially this season, allows them to comment on xenophobia and how people treat Cara Danvers versus Supergirl, who is obviously an alien. Yeah, and they've also, throughout the series and then much more so this season, used it as a way of commenting on the general attitude in the United States towards illegal immigrants in particular, which Kara is. And then they've, they've also made the specific choice this season to call Nia's hero identity Dreamer, mm. which, as we found out, her mom emigrated here and Nia was brought up on Earth, very like the way you have this class of immigrants known as Dreamers in the United States who were brought here as very young children. And even though they're not legally citizens, this is their home country and this is their culture. Yeah. And so we have this really great exploration of Kara as someone who carries that status as an illegal immigrant who could be taken away, kicked out of her home and having to guard that secret. And they've used kind of like the coming out analogy for that. And it is very fitting because it's a very similar problem that many people in real life have in terms of if somebody finds out they could lose their job, they could lose their home. Mm-hmm. And then there's the aspect of it that's like she's physically very different yeah. than the people around her. And so like we saw in season one with Livewire, Leslie Willis commenting on Supergirl's physiology and in a really rude and like intrusive way, somewhat comparable to what a trans person may experience in their lives. So it's interesting that we had that sort of dual coming out between Kara and Nia in the last episode, episode 411. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, and then a couple other ways the show has departed a little bit from the original Superman stuff is in ways that make it feel a little bit more suited to the modern world. A lot of the tropes that are included in the Superman story about the secret identity and what have you are tied to the fact that the origin of the character is 80 years old. And in some respects, the world was a very different place then. Mm-hmm. I think probably some of the skepticism and the difficulty accepting that like the disguise works is related to the fact that people nowadays are much more conscious of the fact that they're being watched by cameras all the time, potentially. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, I feel like in some ways, the choice to make Kara's secret be important has actually pulled it a little bit away from like superhero-y and almost a little more towards like spy genre where there genuinely is a Mm -hmm. need to protect the safety of both the hero and their loved ones. And therefore, the secret is important to be kept. Yeah. I mean, with involving the DEO now, now we have Russia. Yeah. It's a fair assessment. Well, and then the other thing there, and it'll be curious to see if they figure out what to do about this. The one place where traditional kind of disguise tech is vulnerable is facial recognition by cameras. And I've seen fans kind of mess around with this with both Superman. Like there was a really great fan art comic somebody did where uh, pictures of Clark were coming up like tagged on Facebook as Superman. And (laughs) that is something that's extremely difficult to fool. And whatever software is available commercially to the public is years behind what's being used by the military and private companies like Google, for example. So on the one hand, like that could be something that is genuinely an issue for Kara. But on the other hand, while she was working with a secret organization, like part of their job is making sure that their people who are undercover don't get caught by those kind of systems. So like there's room to also cover that base as well with like, okay, I'm sure Wynn made sure she was like cleared out of the database for like her driver's license or whatever. Hmm. So yeah, I do like that they've kind of moved it a little bit more into a 21st 
21st century story because there are so many parts of it that are still very relevant, particularly with the kind of dual identity and the bicultural thing. Mm -hmm. And speaking of that. (laughs) Yes. And right now we're seeing an interesting situation where Alex, who was the only character on the show who really got to see all sides of Kara, Kara as Kara Zarel, Kara as Kara Danvers, Kara as Supergirl, even compared to Eliza, who hasn't really interacted with Supergirl, that role. Much. Yeah. We're now seeing Alex entirely forget like two of the sides of Kara. Kara as an alien, as Kara Zarel, and as Supergirl. And there's a lot of strife involved. <laughs> Thanks for taking this lighthearted episode and bringing it right back to sad. We, we have to go back to our base point of sad. <laughs> so there's some really interesting ways to play with this dual identity. And it's one of my favorite aspects of the show when they do play into it. Yeah, well, and it'll also be intriguing to see A, how long they draw it out for, and B, what aspects of the conflict they choose to pull out of it. Yeah. Particularly because you know they're going to be kind of paralleling it to some of the stuff with Nia and Mm. or the things that are coming up with Lena and Lex. So... Yeah. And on that note, we will be back next week for a new episode of Supergirl. Thanks for listening. 